0: morning. As Richard said, Revelation 2 on page 1237 in the church Bibles, on the screen and in the leaflet. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death."
1: Thanks, Sue. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be, great to be back here. Been looking forward to this visit for, for quite a while. Uh, Quite a few years ago, um, this is before my time at Allgate, I was at a a different church in the the Trinity Network that that we're part of. I was on the the staff team as a ministry trainee, and I I remember an an email getting passed around um, from a guy who attended another different church in the network, Um, and he'd taken it on himself to visit every single church in the network. I think think there were about eight or nine or so churches in the network at that time, uh, and write a review. Of each one. So just, just go along and, and review each each trinity church. Um, now I should point out he did it in quite an encouraging way. He didn't sort of rank them from best to worst or give them a five-star rating or anything or anything like that. He, he was he was trying to be encouraging and, and and really just giving his first impressions as a visitor. Uh very interesting to read though. Like you you, you receive an email like that with like <laughs> review of all Trinity churches in the in the subject, you think, oh this is this is going to be interesting. Your first thought is, I wonder what they said about my church. And then your second thought is, I wonder what they said about all the other churches. You, you sort of get into comparison mode, thinking about how everyone else did with it. Um, well, imagine how interested we would have been if it was Jesus who had sent that email with, and written all the reviews, if, if it was Jesus himself who was evaluating our church. Uh, that's what we get in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, We have seven letters that are, that are written to seven real churches, all of them from Jesus, and we're going to be looking at the first two of them this morning. Now, I think David Wright was here last week, wasn't he? My old Bible college lecturer, David Wright, was here covering chapter one for us, and there are a couple of key things that we see in chapter one which really set the scene for the rest of the book. Um, so firstly, God's people are suffering. Um, but secondly, we have this awesome vision of, of Jesus who is alive and, and powerful and glorious. Uh, and so revelation is a letter from Jesus written to his suffering church, uh, encouraging them to, to stand firm and promising that he's going to return one day to make things right. Uh, and then in chapters two and chapter two and chapter three, we have, we have these letters within a letter which is Jesus telling each one of these churches that that existed at that time, what what that church needed to hear at that time. Uh, And as we read these letters ourselves, 2,000 years later, our our church is obviously in a a slightly different context to to the church of Ephesus and and the church of Smyrna. Um, And so we need to understand what Jesus is saying to these churches before before we apply it to ourselves. And, And to do that, we need to understand the situation going on at that time Uh, so uh, pagan religion and and emperor worship they were the the big things in the Roman Empire at that time everyone was expected to to recognize Caesar as king and so to to claim that Jesus was a a greater king than Caesar and that Jesus was the king that we should be worshiping that was seen as treachery in that society this Roman religion was, was tied up with trade economics Every, everything in that culture. Uh, so to be a Christian and to say that Jesus is Lord was, was extremely costly, both from a, a social point of view and a, but a financial point of view as well. You, you might find yourself not only facing social exclusion but even in, in danger of facing physical harm. It was also a, a period of great material prosperity, it was a very rich time for the Roman Empire. So the church wasn't just in, in danger of persecution, there was also the, the temptation of the material world around them, there was this danger of being distracted and enticed by wealth and drifting away from Jesus. Uh, so finding it hard from a, from a persecution and a social exclusion point of view, but also, also that distraction factor As well. I'm I'm sure we can find common themes with with following Jesus today in Adelaide as well. Uh, So, seven letters to to seven different churches, and and they all follow a similar kind of structure. uh, I've got a slide that I'll pop up. I feel like I'm giving a a lecture when I show a a slide like this. I think Postman Pat was a bit more engaging with how she managed to (laughs) communicate it, although I didn't like Google Translate being being knocked. That was the only way I got through German (laughs) in year 12. Um, But All of the letters in chapters two and three follow a similar similar kind of format. So Jesus says to the the angel of the church in whatever the church is, so the church that he's writing to, these are the words of him who dot, 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 and and here there's a description that we read of Jesus that kind of reflects the the big description that we saw of Jesus in chapter one. Uh, Then Jesus tells them, I know... Dot, dot, dot. And here he, he's very specific to the church. He, he um, talks about their circumstances that they're facing. Uh, he gives a bit of a critique to most of the churches, says, Look, you could be doing these things a little bit better. And, and then gives some commands as well, gives some instructions about what it looks like for this church moving forward. Uh, then he tells them at the end, Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then finally, to the one who is victorious, and as Postman Pat shared earlier, there's a, there's a promise, an eternal promise that he gives, and, and all of these promised rewards that he talks about in these letters are actually things that we'll see a little bit later on in Revelation. Uh, so he begins with the church in Ephesus. Now if that name sounds familiar, Ephesus has had a few appearances in the Bible, so the book of Ephesians was written to the, to the church in Ephesus. Uh, 1 Timothy was also written with Ephesus in mind, and we read a bit about Ephesus as well in the book of Acts, So I think at Allgate, you might have been doing the book of Acts at the the start of this year, and there's a particular passage you would have covered in Acts chapter 20, which was written probably about 30 or so years before John wrote this letter of Revelation. And so Acts chapter 20, where Paul, the apostle Paul, meets with all of the elders from the church of Ephesus, so all of the leaders and pastors in that church, and, and he warns them that there are going to be false teachers that come to the church. There are gonna be false teachers like savage wolves who are gonna come along and they're gonna do damage to the church with their false teaching. Ephesus was a, quite a large city. We know, we know that from historical sources. It was located right on a, along a trade route as well, so a very wealthy city. Very religious as well. There was a, a massive temple in Ephesus that was built for a goddess Uh, by the name of Artemis. And if if we read through the book of Acts, we actually see that Paul, when he went to preach the gospel in Ephesus, he ended up getting chased out by pagan worshippers. So Jesus tells the church in Ephesus in verse one, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Uh, So him is, is Jesus referring to himself here. Uh, And we read back in chapter one that the seven lampstands here, they they represent the seven churches. Uh, So we have this image here of Jesus walking amongst his churches, Jesus Jesus being physically present in his churches. There's nothing about his churches that Jesus doesn't know. And what he knows about the church in Ephesus is mostly pretty good stuff. Uh, We read there that they're holding fast to the truth of the gospel. They're strong on their doctrine, they're strong on their ethics. They don't tolerate wicked people. They've obviously listened to Paul's warning all those years ago and they're catching out the false teachers, They're, they're calling them out. Verse six, Jesus tells them, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans like I do. Now we don't know for sure who the Nicolaitans are but most likely they were a group who taught that it was okay for Christians at that time to participate in pagan worship. So the church in Ephesus has, they've persevered, they've endured hardship in Jesus' name. We read that in verse three. They haven't grown weary, they haven't given in. This is the church who are really well-drilled in their Bibles, Uh, they have all the right answers to the Jehovah's Witness who knocks on their door. They're prepared to to invite their friends along to the next Alpha Course, even if they risk getting rejected for that. When they go to Kurong, they they know which books to buy and which ones to avoid. Uh, But there's a problem, Jesus tells them, there's a problem. Verse four, you've forsaken the love you had at first. You're strong on your doctrine, you're strong on your ethics, well done. But you've lost your passion for Jesus. Now, perhaps they've been distracted by all the material wealth in the Roman Empire at that time. Maybe they've just slowly drifted out of love. Either way, Jesus tells them, look how far you've fallen. Look how far you've fallen. Think back to the love that you once had for me. Jesus begs them. And there's a a stern warning attached to his plea as well, as Postman Pat explained to us earlier. Repent, Jesus says, or I'll remove your lampstand. That is, your church is not going to survive. Now maybe you can relate a little bit to to where the church in Ephesus is at. Um, Maybe you you feel like your Bible knowledge is is pretty good, but, but that deep affection for Jesus just isn't there like it once was. Uh, perhaps you've been in the church before where, where it's just all head knowledge but there's no, there's no passionate love for Jesus. Now I don't think any of us particularly want a relationship with Jesus that's like that, do we? Where it's, where it's all head knowledge and, and no heart. Um, but there are seasons where it can feel like that. Um, so how do we safeguard ourselves from that? Or, or how do we free ourselves from that if that's where we're at? at the moment. Well, perhaps a comparison with marriage is helpful at this point. I realize lots of us aren't married, but, but it's, a, it's a tangible picture that, that makes sense to us all. The, the Ephesian church here is a bit like a, hu- a husband who puts out the bins on bin nights, um, does everything that a good husband would do, but he just doesn't love his wife. Or a good, faithful wife who's just fallen out of love with her husband. In our home, we, we've got a heap of family photos that we that we have up on the wall. We've got um, photos from our wedding day. We've got uh, pictures of Rory when, just soon after he was born. We've got lots of different family photos of different seasons of life. Not because I come home from work and I think, oh, who's in my family again? Who do I have to <laughs> say hello to? <laughs> Who shouldn't be in this house? Um, but, but because those photos, they are really precious reminders of, of the deep sense of love that we felt in that moment. You know, I, I love Alicia more now than I did when we were engaged, when we got engaged. seven, seven years, seven years ago., yep. <laughs> <laughs> almost seven years ago. <laughs> so it was a great day. But there, there was <laughs> There was something special in that moment. There was, something, there was something I felt, an excitement I felt in that moment that, uh, that I don't, you, you can't possibly replicate that every day. No one's got that much emotional capacity. Um, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, you, you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> um, that, that feeling that, that we get when, I, when, I saw, when we saw Rory for the, for the first time, it's just a really special moment. And, and seeing those photos, it's a reminder of what it meant for us in that moment and, and what it still means for us. And so Jesus is, is calling the church in Ephesus to something similar here, to, to think back to when they first met him, when they first chose to follow him, when they first came to realize that Jesus laid down his life to save them. And when they first loved Jesus, when they first cherished him, when they first knew that he was more precious than anything or anyone else. And they knew that following him was worth whatever it costs. If you're someone here this morning and you've put your trust in Jesus, do you ever think back to that love that you had at first? Do you reminisce, do you remind yourself why it was that you chose to follow Jesus? Now it's gonna be different for all of us. The story of how you came to faith, in Jesus might be such an epic story that, that um, you could make a movie about it. you you just have to screen your phone for all these calls from different churches that wanna get you to come along and share your epic testimony at their, at their church services. Uh, or it might just be really ordinary. Maybe you can think back to an exact second when, when it all clicked and, and when, you, when you put your trust in Jesus, or, or maybe you can't. Maybe it was something that happened over weeks or months or years. Why not take a bit of time today, this week, to remember how it was that Jesus entered into your life and rescued you and what difference it's made for you. Perhaps even write it down, share it with someone. Ask someone else to, to share their story as well. And if you're here this morning just checking out what church is all about, just checking out who Jesus is, why not ask the person who, who brought you along today or, or the person that you're sitting next to how they came to know Jesus? I reckon there are, there are three great things about being able to share your faith story, I reckon. So, so firstly, it's a great reminder for you personally of, of what Jesus has done for you, how, how awesome it is to know Jesus. I've actually been visiting different community groups at our church this year, and, and as part of that, I've been sharing my own story with them, which I, I hope has been vaguely encouraging for them, but it's been really helpful for me because it's kind of helped me to fine-tune my story and, and actually remind myself, like, how good is it to, that Jesus chose me and that, and that Jesus came into my life? So, firstly, it's a great reminder for you of what God has done. Secondly, it's a massive encouragement for other Christians to to hear about how God has brought other people to Him. And thirdly, when that moment comes, when when someone who doesn't go to church, someone who doesn't have a church background, asks you, what's the whole Jesus stuff all about? Why are you a Christian? Um, You'll be able to sincerely tell them the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Uh, So the church in Ephesus had the right knowledge, they had the right behavior, um, but they needed to fix their eyes once again on the beauty of Jesus. It's a bit different for the church in Smyrna, which we get to in verse eight. Uh, We don't read much about Smyrna in the Bible. I think think this is the only reference. Um, But historically, we we know that it was a harbour city which had a a flourishing trade. It had a a big temple that was built for emperor worship, which would have been only only a few decades before Revelation was written. The city may have been rich, but, but the church was doing it tough. Jesus describes them here as being poor and afflicted. Now, we don't know if the church had been robbed by the, the people around them, or, or perhaps just because, because of their trust in Jesus, because of their aligning with Jesus. They were missing out on a whole lot of the trade and commercial benefits because they didn't engage in, in the pagan religion. Either way, it reminds us of stories we hear today of churches around the world who have their property destroyed or, or they miss out on aid uh, during natural disasters because of their faith in Jesus. Much of the the slander and the hardship that the church in Smyrna was facing was actually coming because of the Jewish people around the place. Uh, Now, Jews at that time were legally exempt from from having to participate in the pagan worship because they had their own worship regulations, Um, but Christians weren't. Christians didn't have that exemption. Uh, Sometimes Christians got away with it because Romans just thought that Jews and Christians were were all the same, but, but it seems like the Jews were, were dobbing the Christians in, and they were exposing them to, to persecution at that time. Uh, so Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, things are gonna get worse. Things are, gonna, things are going to get worse. You're going to suffer more. One of the earliest Christian martyrs who we know about, so one of the earliest Christians who was, who was killed for their faith, uh, was a guy called Polycarp. He was the Bishop of Smyrna, he was burnt at the stake around 155 AD at the age of 86 after refusing to deny Jesus. Uh, He would have been a young man when this letter was written. He, He may even have been standing there listening as the letter was read. Jesus tells him, don't be afraid, be faithful. Don't be afraid, be faithful. Physically, you may be poor and beaten but In reality, you are rich and victorious. In verse 10, Jesus says, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Uh, That would have been a familiar image to people in that society. A crown would get given to the athlete who won a a big event, uh, kind of like a gold medal at the Olympics today. So a lot of short-term sacrifice that, that leads to a glorious Reward Sometimes when the, the Olympics are on, they'll do a, a feature story on an, on an athlete and, and you kind of get this window into all of the hard work that, that goes in behind the scenes to winning a gold medal. Um, it's a bit like that. It's the pattern of the Christian life that Jesus calls us to. Suffering now, but glory to come. Jesus tells us to expect it and Jesus lived it out himself. Jesus suffered for us on the cross before being raised back to life. And he he promises us that whoever loses their life for his sake will find it. But on the other side of the coin, he asks us, what good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul? Some of the Christians in Smyrna at that time, like Polycarp, would die for their faith in Jesus uh, but Jesus promises them, verse 11, the one who is victorious won't be hurt by the second death. The one who trusts in Jesus has nothing to fear on judgment day. Their eternal life is secure in him. And Jesus' message here for us is the same as it was for them back then don't be afraid, be faithful. So I wonder, what are you afraid that, that living for Jesus, going all in for Jesus, is gonna cost you? What's it, what's it gonna cost you? Uh, maybe money, maybe time, maybe popularity, maybe social standing, maybe career advancement, maybe credibility. Uh, those are real costs, I, I don't wanna downplay them at all. Living for Jesus will be costly. And we saw that the other, the other week with Andrew Thorburn, the, the Essendon CEO who has very publicly stood down from his, his role there in the AFL because of his association with his church. Uh, living for Jesus will cost you in some way. And to be honest, I, I feel like a bit of a fraud sometimes when I'm a, when I'm a church pastor sort of telling people to, to live boldly for Jesus in the workplace because um, you know I'm not in any immediate danger of getting hauled over the coals by our HR department for um, being open about Jesus. I'm, you know, I'm actually, people encourage me to be open about Jesus in, in my role. It's actually quite a good thing to do. But, but I, I realize that, that for, for many of you, there, there are great risks and great costs, uh, particularly in the workplace, that come with that. Uh, but we have to look at those costs through the lens of the final victory that Jesus has promised. Uh, the church in Smyrna, they, they could have towed the line. They could, have, they could have engaged in just enough emperor worship to to avoid any heat and avoid any financial losses at that time. But they went all in for Jesus, whatever it cost. Because they knew that their hope was tied up in him. That Jesus laid down his life to bring them to God. That he'd risen again to defeat death. And that one day he's going to come back and make everything Right, and that nothing and no one can get in the way of his plans and purposes. They knew that, that whatever it cost to follow Jesus, it was worth it. Jesus once told his disciples a, a very short parable that, that sums this up really well. It's in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, and he, and he tells them the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So what Jesus is saying is that when we realize what it means to know him, when we realize the hope that we have in him, we know that it's worth the cost. So what might it cost you to live for Jesus? Well, sorry, what might it look like for you to, to, in your life, to live for Jesus, whatever the cost, to lose your life for him. Uh, Maybe it's giving up a bit of time and and getting involved in one of these ministry teams that was promoted up the front this morning, joining one of these teams and and serving in this way. Uh, Maybe it's having an honest look at your own personal budget and thinking, could I start giving money or, or give more money towards Christian ministry? Maybe the next step is is crossing that pain barrier with someone who you know who doesn't know Jesus and and asking them, what is it that you believe? Seeing where the conversation goes, taking the risk, inviting them along to church for Christmas maybe, risking that relationship for Jesus' sake. Jesus is calling all of his churches everywhere, anywhere, anytime, not just to know their Bibles well, although that's, a, that's obviously a great thing, but to hold to him in love, to be faithful in the face of pain and persecution, and to know that he is worth whatever it costs. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to, to see more and more clearly who Jesus is, what he's done for us on the cross, what he's secured for us in his death and resurrection, and the glory that will be revealed on that day when he returns. And we pray that you'd help us to love him more dearly and trust him more joyfully each day, whatever comes our way. Amen. We're
2: gonna have a time of confession now and uh, it'll be up on the screen. The the words in in bold uh, will say together. So uh, let's begin with this prayer. Almighty and living God, we praise you that Jesus Christ has freed us from our sins by his blood. We know Jesus Christ is a faithful witness of us, your church, and we come before you in his name to confess our same, our sins before you. Uh, To the church in Ephesus, Jesus says, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Forgive us when we forsake our first love and help us to do the things we did at first. Help us to be like the Church of Smyrna, not afraid to suffer for Jesus, being faithful even to the point of death and so to obtain the victor's crown. We ask this in the name of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Amen. Richard Salmon's going to come and continue to lead us in prayer.
3: Good morning all. Please just, we'll take a moment before I pray, um, just bow your heads in silence and just maybe reflect on what we've heard this morning, uh, how we've lived during this week. Or just sit and just acknowledge that God's with us at the moment. Be still and know that the Lord is God. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. Lord we give you praise. You are the great Alpha and Omega, the one who died and was raised for us so that we may be freed from the power that sin and death has had upon us. Heavenly Father, you are a great refuge and strength. You are the author of all goodness. and We ask today that you will hear our prayers and the prayers of this church and grant the things that we ask for faithfully as we know they have been given to us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word so that we can know your character so clearly we stand confidently upon the foundation of scripture that's been spoken through the prophets and the apostles. All of whom who point towards Jesus as the cornerstone of your temple. The one who is seen in Revelation to hold the seven stars in his right hand and walk among the seven golden lampstands. Lord, without you, we are dead in this world, following our own desires and deserving your wrath and judgment. But you, Lord, are rich in mercy and through your grace we have been saved. Hear then the good news that in Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Lord, you are the King of kings, the Lord of creation, and we praise your holy name for choosing us to be blessed and redeemed in order that we may be counted among the saved in your kingdom. Help us to aspire to holiness and perfection through the power of your spirit and through Jesus. As your people, help us to hear your holy word in faith to receive it and be prepared to pick up our cross and carry it for our beliefs. By your spirit, keep teaching us Christ, renewing us each day in our thinking and attitudes and strengthen our actions so that we will rid ourselves of all impurity and attitudes that grieves you. Forgive us for our scarred and hardened hearts when we do not turn to you in repentance for the wrongs that we have done. Help us to realize when we are in sin to support and to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And where needed, have us rebuke each other so that we will not become enemies of the truth. Forgive us for being so focused upon the judgment of our enemies as well that we no longer pray for their conversion and acceptance of the gospel, so that they too may receive the blessings of a life in Jesus. Humble us and teach us to how to love our enemies so that they too may see your glory as you overcome evil with good. For the sake of our eternal life in your kingdom, open our eyes to see things for what they truly are. Have us pursue our tests of of faith with endurance, perseverance, and submission. The temptations of this world are numerous and they're often twisted and disguised to our perception. Help us not to be caught up with the false promises of rest and satisfaction that are in worldly things. Praise be to you that we are already rich in Christ. Help us through the storms of life and be drawn in prayer and praise and worship to you. Our faith rests in Jesus who was resurrected and ascended in heaven to be at your right hand. We ask that you strengthen us not only to be hearers of your word but grow us to be people in faith that be a fruit for the name of Jesus. We pray for your church, for the leaders of all Christian denominations, that they be unified in the true gospel of Christ. Help them to be convicted of your word. And Lord, we pray for the continued spread of the gospel. We know of countries where it's illegal to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. We will ask that you raise up churches in these countries to maturity so that your message will be heard above all those trying to smother the good news. You are our refuge and strength and our shield and hope. Lord, it is by your hand that all wickedness in this world will be discarded as dross. We stand before you as servants in awe of your great and mighty power. We know of wars and conflict within the world and situations of natural disaster and famine. We ask that you provide swift resolution to this pain. For those who are being persecuted in your name, we ask for strength to sustain them in faith knowing that it is Jesus who remains their true salvation. Lord, we pray for the Christian students who have exams at the moment. Thank you for our year 12 students finishing school. Please grant them peace as they approach exams and remain strong in the direction of their future. For Shannon and Tom, who have a psychology exam on Tuesday and Noah, who has geography on Friday. We ask that you will strengthen them and pray that they'll use this time wisely. We ask for opportunities that they will share their confidence in the gospel rather than in their exam results. We ask that you will lead them in ways of using their study to build the body of Christ. Lord, have us become a community that does have Jesus as head, putting off our old selves and recognising things into this world. We ask that you guide our steps of this church and send your spirit to lead those in this congregation. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Well, we're grateful to all who um, give financially to contribute to the work of Trinity Church Aldgate. Um, So if that's you, thank you. And uh, if you'd like to contribute or if you'd like to change your giving at all, uh, I believe there's forms available um, uh, on the welcome table that can help you with that. You can also find the details on the website. Uh, please don't hurry off uh, after church. We'll have morning tea available. I'm not sure exactly of the... It'll be inside. Thank you. Uh, morning tea will be inside. Uh, so enjoy that uh, and the opportunity to say good day, uh to others who are here with us today. Um, please stand as we sing together our final song how great is our God. One day, all will recognize and see and declare that he is the one true God.
4: the earth rejoices.
2: Next week, where we'll look at the second half of the the rest of Revelation chapter 2 and Jesus' letter to the churches of Pergamum and Thyatira. Uh, It'll be great to read ahead and come uh, looking forward to that. Uh, As we go out, let's say these words uh, to one another. May the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ, himself restore, establish and strengthen us. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. Have a great day.